I've often discussed the idea of living in a multi-chain world where each blockchain finds a specialty and then they work together interoperably. That's usually the vision that's presented even by the founders of these blockchains. Well, today I spoke with the co-founder of Solana, Anatoly Yakovenko, and he had a different vision because he believes that Solana can be the one blockchain that eats the world. Listen and find out why. That's dope. There's been a lot of talk about layer one wars, right? It's become almost a meme in the in the crypto space. The idea that like Lord of the Rings, there could be one sort of chain to rule them all. It's my opinion, we'll probably live in a multi-chain <laughs> world, but I would love your take on where each of these chains sort of fit in and what the future looks like. I can I can see both like options being on the table. I think a lot of reasons why it's a multi-chain world is because these two systems are like kind of like databases. They're kind of boring. And those typically there's no, it's really hard to build a moat. Like it doesn't really matter for a consumer what database they use in the background. The other reason why there could be a moat is I think kind of the, the native crypto narrative, like the idea of digital ownership, store value, all those things really do tie around security of the chain. And if that's the case, then there could be moats around like Bitcoin, Ethereum, decentralization. You know, you know, Solana is trying to be a very decentralized chain. There's a lot of effort that's put in by the community to do so. I, my take is that decentralization to centralization is a sliding scale and that most things exist in the gray or are moving from centralized to decentralized. And the community sort of has this bipolarity where they want it to just be one or the other and there's nothing in between. So Solana obviously has taken quite a bit of criticism for being too centralized, but you're probably, I would imagine, on that sliding scale. Yeah, the main difference in Solana between something like Ethereum and Bitcoin is the cost of the hardware to run the network is high. So I don't know if you remember Vitalik's trilemma, performance, security, decentralization, the cost of the hardware throughput and latent and, and like latency, basically, <laughs> like you can only pick two unless you want to make the hardware expensive, which is what Solana chose. So if we make the hardware expensive, we can actually have both high number of nodes, high number of participants in the network and high performance. But that goes against, I think, a very core Ethereum value, which is you want to lower the barrier to entry for anybody to participate in the network from a hardware perspective. Um, and this is where a lot of the arguments, like, why do they get to decide what's the lowest point cost of hardware, right? And like the differences between validation, verification, and all these other things. My, my kind of belief is that if the network is permissionless, that anybody can enter it. Like I can go and participate in it without any kind of like needing to ask anyone. It doesn't really, and it's useful. It doesn't really matter how much it costs because it'll get cheaper over time. Like it's because there's demand to go participate in it. It's just the way that computer hardware gets really like 50% cheaper every two years. It's like the, the, the thing that humans have figured out. <laughs> the one thing that I could bet on uh, humans being good at is, is uh, making cheaper and cheaper. From my perspective, like I think the most important thing that we can do is Make sure that the protocol is permissionless, that anybody can enter and participate in it, and then figure out what are those like really hard to find use cases that somebody figures out the really complicated thing about cryptography, sets up a seed phrase, and actually uses the network. That that's that's like the real challenge, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, I remember when my dad brought home a Commodore 64 in the 1980s, and that thing cost thousands of dollars. And that's not even adjusted for inflation. So that yeah. POS, not not those were real dollars. Of, yeah, <laughs> so, so that was like a thirty thousand dollar computer by now, and it did literally nothing but run a print shop. But I think tech, you know, technology is inherently deflationary, as you said, and the price will obviously come down. What's better than listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast? listening and watching the Wolf of All Streets podcast live. Well, they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but this time that's not the case because I'm hosting a stage at a conference from October 10th to 13th. That's the WebEx conference. I'm gonna be bringing you live podcasts, live panels, masterclasses from the leading minds in the industry. This is going to be absolutely epic. It's going to be live streamed, recorded, and presented to you live. You can come have a happy hour with me, eat dinner, potentially play golf, and watch all of your favorite content being recorded in real time. Guys, the link for this is web3expo.live. That's web3expo.live. Use code WOLF20 to get 20% off your ticket. WOLF20 for 20% off your ticket. Guys, let's hang out in Vegas, October 10th through 13th. I think you kind of pointed out a really important dichotomy. People maybe don't understand, but they argue about participation. And some are talking about participation like you said, from actually running a node or being a validator. But most people just want to use it, right, as users. And everyone can participate in that end and benefit from cheaper, faster transactions. So that's kind of the bad is, can we make the network so cheap and fast that it starts opening up new use cases? And um, those are still kind of unknown. Like, it's not clear what those are yet. Like a lot of DeFi stuff doesn't need a super cheap network. Like uh, automatic, you know, um, AMMs, constant function market makers, Uniswap does not need to do more transactions per day than it does already. Like it functions fine. Um, you know, Solana can handle something like Serum, which is a central limit order book, but that ha itself hasn't shown to be so much better than Uniswap that there's like, okay, we need to drop constant function market makers. Everyone move over to this. There's a lot of questions there, but I, personally believe that like there's a another 10x in reducing cost and performance improvement grows the space it's just like lets more people enter and then build more shit and we've seen that with nfts like the number of people that started minting like the long tail of artists on solana is just much much larger and it's you know half a million nfts a, a week get minted and that's simply because Crazy. it's cheaper <laughs> yeah, well, like there was a time I remember when NFTs sort of started to bubble, it was still cheap to mint on Ethereum. And then we had that kind of crazy gas wars uh, period where people were paying $200, $300 to mint something they were going to sell for 15 bucks. It just became unsustainable and actually crushed the artist. Exactly. So like these technologies create really, really cool things. There was no concept of digital ownership before. And Making the network cheaper and more accessible means that more artists get to try and more creative things get to compete in the market. And creativity is like the the really the one the the hardest thing to find, right? It's the most non-fungible thing out there. And like just that drives adoption and growth and everything. Yeah. So we've had sort of this emergence of multiple categories. I think it was all DeFi, right? Two years ago. And then, like you said, NFTs and the metaverse and and all these things. And now, of course, we have uh, play to earn, I don't know, sleep to earn, walk to earn, breathe to earn. You can literally earn doing anything, right? Sleep Does earn. one chain need to be able to accommodate all of these things? Or is that where we could see sort of a multi-chain split off where there's a specialization 
you know, Solana becomes the NFT chain and Ethereum is the DeFi chain, sort of as you alluded to, because AMMs happen to work there and, and so on and so forth. There's uh, some engineering reasons why it might not be, that might not be like the best outcome. And that's because you have this one giant chunk of memory, like think of it as RAM that represents the state of the, of the network. And when you split it, you're creating uh, like friction, like effectively in, in DeFi, it would be arbitrage. If there's a Uniswap market and one L2 and another L2, they're going to have slightly different prices. You know, you have to rebalance these and rebalancing is going to take up resources, right? They're, those are going to be transactions that are bidding and competing with users. And you end up with a system that might be really, really more expensive and less, less good at price discovery than one giant one. Like I'm obviously building Solana because I think it's the best design, but how the, this plays out has so many like factors, you know, like is are any of these things the most important thing? But I think the one thing that is truly important is ordinary humans want the cheapest possible price to use these networks and the lower we make it, the better. And so far Solana has its design, despite it's being expensive on the hardware, translates into the cheapest possible like uh, fees for for users. No one has been able to even come close, despite like Solana running for two years. And you talked about the fact that AMMs actually at this point can effectively support the breadth of the DeFi market, right? But that also speaks to the fact that DeFi is kind of small, going through a winter, True. certainly with all the exploits yep. and hacks, I think that the shine is sort of worn off DeFi. But don't we need to not think about the current reality and start to think about what it looks like at scale? If we believe that DeFi is going to be a parallel global financial system, that means that we need to accommodate a billion users a day, right? Is that even theoretically possible right now? It's about 50,000 TPS if they're all not, if they're perfectly distributed. Right. <laughs> billion users doing three transactions per day in a perfectly distributed manner would be about 50,000 TPS. Give you a sense of scale, Google does about 80,000 searches per, per second. So that's honestly as fast as we need to make a single network to cover the world. Because I can't, you know, like in my mind, Google is kind of like a one globally scaled thing, like truly globally scaled. Yeah. It's one unit of that thing, right? And maybe there's going to be slightly more, slightly less, but I kind of think that's how much we need to cover the population. And that's doable today um, with some shortcuts that will get easier the, uh, as hardware gets cheaper. And the kind of shortcuts I'm talking about is like, if we uh, like co-located and like put all the Solana validators on like a super high, like even more expensive network, and like systems with like multiple boxes in each in each uh, for each validator with like 512 cores or a thousand cores, it could probably get there. And it's not even that expensive to do that. And you kind of think like, why don't you guys just do that, right? Like, why don't you build this like massive thing? Is because nobody needs it yet. We we haven't seen like human driven activity to like have such a demand on the network, despite the fees being like basically lowest anywhere. Or, anywhere that it's worth to deploy that hardware. Like we would effectively just be, you know, throwing money uh, away. But uh, I mean, does that mean that you don't necessarily believe that we get there? This becomes kind of a cute little thing that uh, people who really understand uh, uh, it uh, use, or do you think that we get to the point where the UX and UI is so clean that, they, you know, grandma can use it? I think the hard part with crypto is that 
there's no shortcuts for the UX. Like I think self-custody is a is a core thing. The same way that URL URLs and links are for the web. You still go to a browser, there's still a URL bar. Despite many attempts to get rid of it with AOL keywords and all this other stuff that people were like, the internet's too complicated, right? Like people don't understand <laughs> what a link is. And all those things were true. People didn't get it. And it just took a long time for the human mind or like people that grew up native to it to really kind of become the dominant users. And the same thing has to happen with crypto. You can't get rid of signing. You can't get rid of self-custody. I suspect that 10, 20 years from now, you're going to have a billion people, but they're all going to still under like sign stuff and know what a wallet is and that they're connecting with their wallet to a decentralized application. And they'll kind of know the implications of signing and all those things at the same level that, you know, my parents understand what clicking on a link is. They, they kind of get it, but they, they don't know the details. But you need to kind of change that mental model. And I think that's the biggest bottleneck for growth. Uh, but it's slowly happening. Like, I think we estimate, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, that there's maybe about 10 million people that on all the chains combined that sign things on a monthly basis, like roughly about 10 million. And like, I, I, yeah, I, I would not be surprised if that yeah. was even high, to be quite frank. You know, we throw out these numbers like 70 million, 100 million, 200 million people. That's all about that how total, you calculate that. That's how client. many people have a wallet. And some of those are three wallets to the same person and they never transact. So yeah, you're talking about active people on all these networks. I think it's very, very few. And most of them are just doing it to trade and speculate. So, but that number is going to hit 100 million people someday. And that's going to be, I think, transformative because at that scale, it's like when the internet hit like 100 million people actually browsing, you saw Friendster, MySpace, and then Facebook pop up. And those were like truly internet applications. They they had no assets besides the social graph, which is kind of bizarre to think about it. Like, <laughs> like Facebook doesn't hold, doesn't have any real estate or stores or, or, or you know, logistics things or like it's purely data. And I think you'll start... At that scale with crypto, you'll see the same kind of like things that are really, really hard to predict. I don't know if it's going to be an NFT set with a million people or an NFT set that becomes like the next, you know, Marvel, Hello Kitty or whatever brand. Like something will have that breakout that you'll, yeah. that everyone will be like, oh yeah, it's obvious in retrospect. Right? Yeah, like, I mean, NBA <laughs> Top Shot looked like that right. actually very briefly. I mean, look what yeah. that did for the entire NFT market when it sort of got hot. So if we have more of those coming down the pipeline, it would make a lot of a sense sense to assume that we'll see, you know, sort of that mainstream adoption through these individual sort of projects or, or hype cycles. So I'm I'm very bearish on things that try to hide self custody and like all the pitches that I hear that are like, oh, we're this is too complicated for consumers. We're gonna like they won't even know they're using a blockchain. It's almost like a non-starter to me. Like I think you have to kind of you know, eat uh, like eat that bowl of, of shit, so to speak, yeah. in the UX and like figure out and make it work. But that means that we really have more than an adoption problem. I think we have an education problem. And like you said, that's not something that can really be expedited. It's going to take up like for people to be comfortable with what you're describing and really understand it. It really is a 10, 20 year proposition, I think, as you said. Well, yeah, I hope we can speed it up. Um, this is why, like, you know, stuff like the phone is being built. It's like, I think, kind of at a gut level, I think everybody understands that the hardware, that the computer you hold in your hand should be the hardware wallet for most of the day-to-day -day applications. 
Um, and there's a lot of UX that kind of sucks on mobile, despite mobile being the, the most dominant way people use the web or use anything in the world. Um, and it's really kind of me, like I spent most of my career at Qualcomm. I was literally 10 years ago, they already had secure elements and trust zones and all this stuff. And we build freaking insane complex software to get copyrighted like DRM video streaming to your device so nobody could copy it. Like trusted displays that nobody could could screenshot, things like that. Um, all that stuff, very small part of it is necessary to make crypto secure and safe. And the stuff that we're doing with Saga is enabling that for end user. Um, and you know, there's multiple ways we can win there. One is pretty simple that Google decides that this tax should be in Android by default and they ship it. And right. that so, might either promote the phone or kill it or whatever. It doesn't matter, but, but the industry moves forward. And that that's like a huge win. Obviously, the other way is that like all the mobile execs just fall asleep at the wheel and we are right. And that becomes the dominant Android device. That's the other way. In a perfect world, what does your experience with that phone look like? I think there's been a lot of confusion as what it means to have a Solana phone, so to speak. Yeah, this is uh there's two pieces there. One is the device itself, and the other part is the stack. The Solana mobile stack is is four tiny technologies. The seed vault uses a secure element to store your seed and the the trusted execution environment to decode it and sign transactions, which means that it can take over the, the display and prevent anybody from spoofing that you're using a wallet. And these are kind of like the key parts. This is why the URL bar has this little lock. Uh, yeah. And in your browser, it's because no other website can spoof that lock and tell you that you're talking over a secure channel. And for something complex like a wallet, you actually need to control the display. A bunch of UX improvements. Once you know that the phone has your, it's kind of like your your hardware hot wallet. When you click on a DAP and you click Wallet Connect and you see those 50 wallet options, you don't need any of that. The DAP already knows that there's a wallet, right? It automatically right. connects. Um so things like that would just be much, much easier. But when you go like shopping and you go to like an NFC payment, like, you know, buy your coffee at Whole Foods or whatever, that can actually pop up a wallet like Phantom. And you can sign with that like single fingerprint or face ID scan and just that experience could be like delightful and awesome. And all those pieces are necessary because wallets are complicated to build these UIs is complicated. And you've seen with the slope wallet hack, when you yeah. have a lot of complex code, an unintentional logging error could leak your secret. <laughs> you basically need to remove the ability for wallets to steal user, user funds for wallets to be able to build richer experiences, more complex like interactions and things like that. So this is really like the, the hope is that we can give developers new tools to build awesome stuff. They go build it and uh, I'll do a victory lap when there's an app that is so compelling that somebody is like, F this, I'm going to buy the stupid I'm literally phone buying this phone because of this yeah, app. Right. And that, listen, that. I buy the iPhone because of the amazing camera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've all seen it, obviously. <laughs> and we and we know that uh, that's how it will eventually probably take hold. Uh, the question I get then naturally is, how can you be sure that it's secure? It seems like there's almost, and you have to do it, you have to push forward. But it seems like you're almost increasing massively the risk of these hacks and exploits by putting, uh, you know, that device, a universal phone, something that people do understand into everyone's hands. Well, people should still understand the difference between a hot wallet and a cold wallet. Like right. your 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 phone is your hot wallet. 
It's sure. not your bank account. It's just not your bank account, right? Girls use a, go use a ledger or something equivalent, like, you know, tinfoil paper wallet with a air gap computer or a Trezor or whatever. You, you need like a cold wallet solution. But for a hot wallet, the security there is the same that you have for biometric scans for all the all the really important things that Apple and Google work on, Qualcomm works on. And there's definitely supply chain vectors and a whole bunch of other stuff. But there is a a pretty large and, and robust industry around finding those and doing teardowns and making sure that there's like no, nobody sneaked in like uh, a hacked secure element or something like that. And that's Just a part of the development process. And like, uh, I think we're the OEM that we're using. Awesome. Jason Keats was the lead architect of iPad pro. He's built crazy hardware, like James Cameron, submarine door. And like, yeah. what's the, basically uh first or second employed essential like built all their devices he's like a hardware like superstar and like i think we're in good hands but obviously there'll be teardowns and all these other things and third-party reviews that that's really really important and i mean just speaking of exploits and hacks i know that like it hasn't really increased as dramatically i think as it feels like i think we're just under the spotlight and in the mainstream so the hacks are somewhat bigger and more well publicized do we get to a place where we don't even worry about that where it's so secure that, you know, the bridges work and there's no wormholes or is it just, we're going to always be chasing our tail on that. I think this is really like, again, me as an engineer, uh, my stomach churns thinking about the idea of building <laughs> these things because it's so scary. It's the surface areas for attacks are really, really large. And it's people's money this time, right? Yeah. Even it's bad enough when it's data, but we're literally seeing, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars drained. I think there's a um, kind of hard problem with smart contracts that you have a single instance of the smart contract that does the, the handling of money. So it's a single piece of code. So wormhole hack or whatever, the, the latest one was the nomad or whatever. These are smart contract bugs. They were not like the bugs that Vitalik talks about when he says, the multi-sig that runs a validator that'll collude to steal your funds. That's that's a possibility, right? And this is why bridging will always have some risk. But so far, all the bugs have been smart contract bugs. And those are really, really hard to, to, to make them like zero, to make it bulletproof. You basically need proof carrying code and like formal verification and like a whole bunch of stuff that's just yeah. really, really undeveloped in, in computer science. And that, that and these contracts is, get audited by like four or five companies and still end up being exploited. So it's clearly like there's no yep. direct science to knowing that it's secure until somebody tests is, it, I guess. There, there is like formal verification there is like very high level languages that can you can describe the spec and the computer will tell you that if the spec is correct then the code is correct right <laughs> but we are those are not yet like commercial that they're, they're so hard to use that even me as like an engineer they're like inscrutable like uh that that's just i think move like uh even though i'm shilling a competitor i think move is a really good attempt to try to like bridge the gap there and like actually add some stronger safety assumptions in a smart contract language. But it's still like so early. 
I mean, you refer to them as a competitor, but I think as you sort of alluded to earlier, the space is so small that I think we're still at a place where you can cheer for your competitors and worry about sure. it later, right? Because we need everybody to sort of all hands on deck, advance the ball, even if one chain is going to win. But that means that you could argue, at least right now, one of the most key elements being built is interoperability, right? And that comes back to all these bridges and stuff. And that seems really early. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. IBC is pretty well developed. I think like yeah. the Cosmos folks did a pretty good job making that like such a core part of their ecosystem. I mean, that's that, what they are, right? I mean, right. <laughs> and this is what, like that kind of a, a, approach to bridging is one that I think is pretty interesting because there's so many users of that bridge and a that the likelihood of bugs like actually becomes lower because you have such a such a diverse number of use cases that are already using the same code. Um, so I'm pretty uh, I I think that's like if you're gonna believe in that future, that would be the way to do it. But we believe in a future where maybe one chain like Solana could dominate it and take <laughs> everything, and then we wouldn't need any interoperability at all. But paint a picture of that future in ten years. Let's say Solana completely wins. Right, which means effectively that Ethereum becomes a pet project and all of these others sort of disappear. What does that look like for you? I mean, you're never going to sleep again, ever. Uh, I think <laughs> uh, what that means, there, it could mean that there's just so many people using Solana that this is where 99% of transactions occur. But that doesn't mean that like maybe Ethereum still is the highest TVL. Like there's, there's like kind of what does that mean to win is like unknown. I think clearly like what's the way Solana's designed and the way it's moving forward is to constantly reduce costs and to improve performance. It's more likely to drive adoption from a user perspective. And maybe DeFi folks will always kind of tend towards Ethereum for whatever reason. But I'm hoping that DeFi is, you know, we literally called it Solana blockchain and NASDAQ speed. Because the fundamental design is this one chunk of state, ch chunk of memory that represents all the prices in the world synchronized at the speed of light. This is like my science fiction, like end goal for Solana is that when news travels around the world, state transitions travel at the same speed as news. By the time that news hits like a Bloomberg terminal in New York, the price, whatever that thing was reflecting is already being propagated through Solana. So when a trader looks at a market at Nisey or Solana, it's the same price. That means that there's no like real arbitrage left. Um, and that'll require a lot of work. We joke that if we have to do it, we'll build neutrino-based communication between nodes to cut through the center of the earth to uh, to reduce latency. But that that's like, uh, you know, ways away. Um, I think like the key part would that would be awesome and like a win is if, we do see that like 100 million user breakout application happen on Solana. And I don't know what that is, but like to me, if like the Facebook or whatever equivalent of NFTs gets built um, and it happens on Solana, that would be, I think, how we win. And like what that would mean, I don't know. I, I, uh, I have this like belief and a hope that self-custody is so important that if we have 100 million people with self-custody, that that becomes like a transformative force, almost like a global voting block around the world, right? Like what if 10 million people decide to buy every coal plant and shut it down, right? Like like the Constitution DAO, like the possibilities there are pretty endless and pretty wild. 
So, yeah, I think the promise of Dallas is exciting, but I also have this sort of thought that most of them will end up like Lord of the Flies. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, people get so excited about Dallas, but it's still just a bunch of people trying to agree on something. Yeah. (laughs) Never goes that well. I think either Lord of the Flies would be like uh, one of the top, like most of them will just fail. (laughs) <laughs> right like and then some of them will be lord of the flies and very political and stuff but i think some of them will be uh pretty open and transparent and kind of like you know trying to do good yeah uh, so there's all these uh, obviously we talked about categories that are sort of being built on every blockchain and and just within the crypto sphere is there anything you're really excited about that's being built that people might have no idea about um, messaging and a whole bunch of like small protocols for communication. I think there's dis- dispatch and satellite and a whole bunch of like, kind of like this is going to be discord or Twitter for, for crypto. There's a bunch of those, um, how the NFTs are slowly, uh, kind of, they're kind of sprouting. Some are trying to be brands. Some are trying to be like storytellers. Some are like, becoming more DeFi-ish. Uh, Some are just think, money grabs. Yeah. <laughs> Cute cartoons. Yeah. So <laughs> I think there's there's something really, really cool there. Um, and gaming, I think, is the, is the next one. Like things like biomes. You, I don't know if you ever played Minecraft or something like that. There's... Uh, I'm a little old, but... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a gamer. So like the, it's like open world where everything's an NFT, all the resources are... But what's cool, like about those things, is that, like, where where I think stuff, why I think stuff is interesting, is if it somehow enables uh, for like a, a new market for creativity. And in this particular instance, you look at Minecraft; people build like sixteen bit computers using the Minecraft engine, um, but they can't do anything with them besides stream them on YouTube. And that's a kind of a a, a shit experience for the artists. They they basically make nearly nothing and just get like a bit more cloud. But with something like NFTs, you built this computer, you can actually issue it as an NFT and people get access to that environment through owning the NFT that really kind of naturally makes sense. So I'm hoping things that are like, I'm pretty bullish on people to figure out like, how do I build a platform that nurtures creativity that like actually gets people to build and create um, and that's very counter to this idea that you need like supply constraints, like that you need like to limit supply something. <laughs> and this is where like, I think stuff that like focuses on limiting the supply is in like the bucket of things that will probably fail and things that can succeed where there's unlimited amount of creation will drive like, well, those people that can build really good tools we'll figure out that creative people is the the most important constraint. And that, that I'm pretty excited of. Dare I ask if you're referring to Bitcoin? <laughs> um, honestly, I like, dude, my family, Soviet Union, em- immigrants, refugees from the Soviet Union, had we had access to Bitcoin, our lives would have been like a lot easier. And when we left like in 92, we were only allowed to take $50 per person. That's 350 bucks and 92 um, for seven people. So like I'm, I like in my heart of hearts, I'm like a fan of this idea of decentralized money that is not controlled by um, superpowers. I think that's really, really important for people, most people outside of the U.S. Like me as somebody living in the U.S., I like, 
Like, this is my home. I'm, I see You're that. Good. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> the systems mostly work. There's a lot of bugs and a lot of problems and we all yell about it, but that's like no different than like a healthy engineering uh, environment. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> And you talked about this sort of one killer app that brings adoption to you know, 100 million people. And you alluded to maybe we would have the Facebook of NFTs, but why not just the Facebook? We really haven't seen, I don't think, the proliferation wild, widely of decentralized social media. Is that viable or is it just not going to happen? You mean like Facebook itself transforming or? A, no, uh, not Facebook itself, a competitive app that's built on a blockchain that allows people to own, you know, the content that they post and your data is not for sale to the highest bidder. Basically a better version of Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, that's actually decentralized and owned by the user. I think typically privacy is a secondary concern for consumers, <laughs> unfortunately, which is they say why they care while yeah. they're like looking at their, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Which is why it's not going to be like um, a driving force of adoption, right? Like, which is like, if you build, I think I applaud everyone that's doing it, but like you build a very, like a privacy enhancing version of it, you actually need to build something better than Facebook on all the other fronts to be competitive with them. And what that is, is, is really hard to know, but like, it, you know, like those big companies get blindsided all the time. Like, uh, while I was at Qualcomm, we were trying to convince Facebook to build a mobile app. They didn't give a shit about mobile until it like Instagram and like WhatsApp started eating their lunch. They didn't care about video until TikTok started eating their lunch, right? Like, like stuff, stuff like this happens all the time. And because they're so big, like they don't, they see NFTs as a blip. Um, it's possible that like there are ways that NFTs become like a better form of content because creators get better rewards for that, right? They're not like constantly being skimmed and they all move over. And then if that happens, then there's crickets on all these other platforms, right? And then I'm hoping that like, if you're a builder in crypto, please build a privacy, like think about privacy, right? <laughs> because yeah. if you succeed, we want that version to succeed. Not, not the version that like took shortcuts there. Right. You talk about Facebook, obviously. I mean, their model is wait till something blows up and then just buy it or copy it and crush it. Right. I mean, I remember when Vine was huge, yeah. right. On, on Twitter and just make stories you know, on Instagram and, and completely crush it. But for once, not in the vision, I think that we have, but Facebook seems to be trying to get ahead of the curve by rebranding as meta and talking about the metaverse. What does a Facebook metaverse look like versus a decentralized metaverse on Solana? I, some like semi, uh, I think the metaverse is really, really hard to build because um, for any of these things, you need, you need to have purpose, like, uh, and being a 3D character moving around in a 3D space just With to no talk legs. to people. Yeah, it has no like, like it, it has no purpose. Like it's not a, like I would rather use a chat app because it's more efficient. It's what or I'm FaceTime. used to. Right, or FaceTime. Hey, right, right, right. I could actually look at you and we could talk. It's great. Right. We're doing it right so, now on Zoom, right? <laughs> yeah, we are in the We're in the metaverse. Right? This is the metaverse. But. <laughs> so like, uh, I think there's stuff like with games and gaming that obviously like, you know, Fortnite has like concerts and stuff that, works and that's because that game is a purpose you go play it and it's entertaining and the the game itself 
is what drives that kind of like the social networking glue but like a, a shitty game on a very large platform is not gonna be something interesting like so i think they're yeah i think they're too early like it was a good a good attempt like i think the metaverse in solana is uh is like kind of a hodgepodge like a bunch of different metaverse startup yeah, yeah a bunch of different small startups build a bunch of different things and then they try to figure out how to make it interoperable because underlying data structure, the chain itself is open and transparent and you can make it interoperable. And there's like, the reason to do so is because when you launch a new game, if you import more more NFTs, more things that are core to gamers identity, you kind of create your own distribution channel. Like, hey, look, everyone with a PFP can import their PFP into my game and it's now like a, a sticker on your like ship or whatever, right? Like, yeah, random different things, but like there's reason to be interoperable at least. Yeah. So you don't see a ready player one future where everybody's in one common metaverse and just opting out of their daily life to go hang out with the same people in <laughs> the metaverse. I don't. I, I don't, don't. I think it's what you described. I think yeah. it's more individual games and the communities that people find that they love, and that's their metaverse. I love Star Atlas. You talked about putting, yeah. you know, stickers on ships. I think those guys are amazing, although it's far out. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a metaverse, which doesn't have to be the metaverse, right? It just seems like a boring dystopia to have a single metaverse. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> There's too many smart people that would want to compete with it, and that to me says that oh, it's probably going to be a very kind of like like very natural, like it is with games. There's no dominant game that everyone plays. Or too many bad people that want to take advantage of it and exploit the people that are in there, right? That's yeah. really dangerous. That would just be one humongous centralized system. It'd be basically a replication of what everybody's already railing about in the real world, probably. Yeah. Be I like need Wally a, I, and we're all fat in our uh, wheelchairs. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I need an uh, I need to escape the real world right now to to be back in it. <laughs> so, so I mean, I talked about earlier. Obviously, I'm also a big fan of Stepin, which is you know something that uh, you guys work with, which is effectively you know you buy an NFT of shoes and you go out and you walk and you earn. Are there other to earn things that are coming that uh, we might not know about? Yeah, MetaCrafters is pretty cool. It's a learn thing uh, where. Um, you get a backpack and you you try to like basically learn um, coding challenges and things like that. Um, and there's some folks working on uh, kind of things like Duolingo, like uh, languages. Language. And like those models, I think, um, like could work effectively. Like I, you know, I'm uh, like I spend money on fitness. I have like, I buy bikes and stuff and like whatever. And I do that. Not because uh, like I do like the bike or or the thing or the or the running shoes that are better, but that's part of the motivation why I go out and and do those things is because now I'm like I have some skin in the game. Like why did I spend all this money? <laughs> <So> <laughs> if I, I have to ride this peloton, I... right? Right, exactly. <laughs> right, like so that is a motivator for people, and people should kind of treat it as that. And you shouldn't think of your like these are my retirement sneakers, right? There's, there needs to be like a disconnect from like for folks <laughs> that participate in, in step in and, and like they should treat it purely as a motivator to working out and the value that they're getting is the workout. And 
having a free market and like having that ability to trade and and participate in in kind of the rush of it is part of the engagement to keep you working out and that that i think is like a pretty good model um i think the models that fail are the ones that try to like make it uh like a the store a store of value or like an investment where it's yeah. not it's not going to be your retirement sneaker right it's, yeah you might be getting yeah you yeah. might be getting some <laughs> coins back for doing it but the main motivation should be it's exercising and right, that's exactly. a side bonus that's right you don't buy your running shoes uh because well unless they're maybe like rare jordans but you don't buy running shoes to go running and then sell them for more exactly. years down the road yeah so it's disposable it's an interesting way to look at it because i still think that most people who are crypto native have this number go up, flip it for more in the future. And that's probably something that we really need to eliminate from uh, the crypto space if these things are going to really succeed. Yeah. And uh, as, I don't know if that's possible. I mean, that stuff still happens in like the real world. Um, like people diminish it then. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or we need a whole lot of people who are not crypto native who come in strictly for the reason that you said and never think about that. Yeah, exactly. They don't come in like as investors. So, and as you scale, obviously you guys have had a few growing pains, right? Uh, you've had a few times when you're offline and things like that. What, how do you fix that and make sure that that never happens down the road? I can't imagine like you're using your phone and the blockchain goes down, right? So those things have to be solved before you go fully mainstream with these products. Well, the phone, like one is that like the the, the phone would still work yeah obviously the phone <laughs> would still work uh uh effectively like um shipping blockchain software like layer 1 is the is the closest thing to shipping hardware if there's something that's wrong you and you already post tape out you have the chip you're kind of fucked and um, yeah so uh the release process is like um so when we have like a problem it's and that we have these challenges because Solana has more transactions per day from applications than um, all the other chains combined. Like it's over 30 million. I think the peak was 65 million. And wow. you look at Binance Smart Chain, which, which is about 10 times less than that, like about 3 million. And Ethereum is about 30 times less than that, a million. So on its own, Solana's load is just much, much higher we have a problem it impacts a lot of users and a lot of services like serum and it sucks because as an engineer you have this next release but it needs to be audited it needs to be baked we have to like verify so you're already it. fixing it and people don't know that and and, and it's hard for us goes to, wrong. to like yeah. make a promise that like look this is fixed exactly in the next release because until you actually deploy it and check you don't know if this is like the best analysis you can do still won't tell you with like a hundred percent guarantee in, in a, like for performance issues for bugs that like, here's like a memory leak and we fix that thing. Like there's really, really fast turnaround, but for like performance aggregation, those are the really, really gnarly ones. So that's been like really challenging and uh, really hard on our engineering team, but like one to 10 release has been awesome. I think you've seen people post that we yeah. got slow in the summer. Sense. But it was because, <laughs> but not, not we got Solana summer, but it's been TPS instead of price or whatever. Yeah, um, which is like what I what I really worry about more about than anything else is like performance. Yeah, um, I think when people look through it that lens, like you, I mean, think about how many times your iPhone has like bug updates. It seems like it's once a week. Any software application and 
but people have this sort of expectation that you can never go down. So that's probably just a and major challenge. That's right. It's the right expectation to have. Um, and the biggest thing that is going to change about Solana in the future that really makes sure that these bugs are virtually impossible is that uh, one of our partners, Jump, is building a second client from the ground up. This is a second implementation, effectively clean room implementation. There's going to be a spec and everything. What that means is that it's extremely unlikely for two different teams building in two different languages from the from a spec itself to have the exact same bug, the exact same memory leak that runs a node out of memory and, and causes something like a halt, like would be virtually impossible. And if we have these two clients up and running, I think the network's going to be far more secure and far more reliable than it'll get get to that next level. Uh, but obviously, we're also doing a bunch of stuff internally. I think the biggest things that we needed to fix and this was um a like nah, it, this was a design problem in, in how solana was released was the congestion model um so why we even have these problems because when people have like an nft launch they price their nft at a at a flat price so it's not a dynamic auction and if somebody thinks that the thing is worth more um those folks have figured out to spam the network with like 100 gigabit worth of packets per second. This is like 10 million proposed transactions per second. And the, the block producer, the leader, has to filter all of these and find the ones that are actually valid. That means that virtually all of them get dropped. And that process of filtering, if there's some bug in there or like something takes too long or there's a queue that fills up unbounded or something like that, that could effectively stall that validator to the point that it's a down node. And if you have a third of them that gets that are down, the network will effectively halt. So a bunch of those bugs are fixed. And there's design differences now where we've implemented Quick, which is a congestion-based protocol that actually prevents bots from sending that much traffic and dynamic fee markets. And this is an innovation on Solana from Ethereum is that we are able to price state, like the actual bits of memory that represent a serum market versus a mango one versus an NFT auction, they're able to be priced individually. So when you have like a spike of demand for any single thing and the fees go up for that NFT sale, that doesn't actually increase fees for all the other users. Right. So when that ape ape token was airdropped and fees went up to $4,000 on Ethereum, if that happened on Solana, only the fees for those users would go up. And makes, everything else yeah. would, would work. And this is why I'm I'm like my nerdy uh pitch for the one chain that wins it <laughs> is yeah. that if you have a system that can handle multiple markets, like dynamically priced markets, um, there's actually no point to out to multiple like shards of it because it's a single system that can now handle all the state in a in the exact same fair way, and it does allow people to still have this atomic single state machine. So there's no like engineering reason to split it and to add an L2 or to add multiple copies of this chain. Um, so if we can make the system, you know, the big, big question, can we make this thing really, really fast and effective and cheap for users and be able to manage all these dynamic auctions? You know, we believe we can, and if we can, that's the that's the engineering reason for why there could be one chain that wins it all. Well, uh, what does it feel like when 
<laughs> the chain goes down though. Like what? Describe what that's like. You're you're obviously the first at the time top that of happened. this food chain. You're like, is it like seven thousand phones and calls and telegram messages? I mean, okay, gotta be a horrible feeling. No one has heard the story, but the first time it happened, actually, people don't even remember the first time it happened because this was when Solana was like still like uh in the super early days. This was 2020 on my birthday. Sam calls me like at 6 a.m. <laughs> and I thought he was trolling me because it was like because I thought Raj set him up to do that because it, it, it was my birthday. It's like, and when I realized, you know, I checked the explorer, it's like, oh fuck. The the thing that happens is that the validators detect it. And the way that we built Solana is that we run a test net, which is uh runs our next release, and we stress test it, and that thing crashes or used to crash very, very often. Um, now it's almost never crashes. Um the validators on their own are forced to restart the test net. So we kind of, we gave them the tools to do that. So they've gone through this process a bunch of times. And one of them decides to be like, whatever, the project manager for that restart, they create a doc, they go through all the steps and the validators go do it. Sometimes it takes a little longer. Sometimes it takes a little, you know, the last one took four hours. So it's getting faster and faster. Some point, you know, like, Bitcoin had two two hours between blocks when miners moved from China. If Solana downtime restart is less than that, is it really down? Is the question. Uh, well, yeah, yes. That, I mean, that's a people never talk about. It, right. right. You're not technically down if it's taking forever to confirm a block, but it's effectively the same thing. Yeah, people don't really talk about yeah. that. But so the answer is that basically you're just waiting with everyone else because it's decentralized yeah. and the validators are dealing with it. So uh, our engineering team tries to figure out what happened because that's important. Right. Like, it, was there like an exploit in the code or hardware failure or something like that? And so far, these have been um, like dumb, dumb bugs in the code um, that are hard to find. And like the most recently, they're hard to find because the amount of load that's being generated by the attackers is so large that it's hard to simulate. Um, so these things, you know, like... Sometimes people miss them in an audit. Sometimes they're very subtle and like really hard to really hard to find until you actually see it. And like no testnet will ever simulate a true production environment. But um, like a lot of the fixes that we've done, especially with Quick, will just kind of eliminate that whole class of problems. So I'm hoping that like with Quick and with a second client. Basically, Solana becomes also the chain that is like the one that never goes down. I love it, Sam, that called you. Like, I, I no wonder <laughs> the guy sleeps like one hour at a time in a beanbag. He's not TV simultaneously. Like, he must have replicas of himself. But that he is so involved that he's literally the one who noticed and called you. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Well, a lot of people have noticed at that point. But yeah, yeah. it was uh, the morning call. <laughs> Absolutely. Unbelievable. Well, man, good. I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this. It's interesting because most of the people have sort of said, listen, yeah, we'll probably be a multi chain world, a little bit of everything. And you're unabashedly say we could do it all. And I, and I appreciate that's that vision. Hope. Yeah. That's the hope. Good luck making it happen. For sure. Thank you. So before we go, where can people get their hands on the phone and check it out? Go to solanamobile.com or follow the Solana Mobile Twitter and pre-order the device. Uh, we're almost sold out of the, if you're a developer especially, we're getting really close to being sold out of the 3,500 developer devices that should be available for Breakpoint. 
So go pre-order it and we'll prioritize you. And where can people follow you after this conversation? Keep on Twitter, I'm A.E. Yakovenko on Twitter. Um, pretty easy to find. Awesome, man. Thank you once again sure. for taking the time and uh, good luck dominating the world. All right, thank you. Let's do it.